Hello and welcome to the 551 podcast. My name is Wes Berdine. This is the off season. Finally, we get a little bit of a break, a little bit of a breather. I've mentioned on previous podcasts that I'm feeling a little burned out. I do want to say thank you to everyone who listens to this podcast. It means a lot. Uh, we just do something where it's a few people being dorks, uh, making dumb jokes, and we have great Patreons who support us. Um, we were able to buy a bunch of expensive equipment this year so that we could all record at home. We were also able to do a couple other things. Uh, it's you know regularly keeps us keeps the fifty five one uh, archive up, so we have all that old news. It also pays for uh, all the distribution, the digital distribution, which costs a bunch to to host. So I want to say thank you very much. It really means a lot to us and and keeps me from being like, why the hell do I do this? Because we get great feedback and I get to meet great people in in real life. Hopefully someday. This um this podcast is really important this particular episode because uh you know I've talked about how much I enjoy Carl Craig the the man and the the myth uh if you are a Forward Madison fan and you are kind of finding this because you want to hear about your new head coach I want to say thank you to Forward Madison for being such a cool club so inspirational of, of how well they do what they do but also they kind of uh, sent us a full kit wanker JC Banks to the Dark Clouds auction that raised a bunch of money. Uh, overall, the auction raised $4,000 for the Sane Foundation. And, you know, when you get a random club, uh, I reached out to Connor Tobin and, and the club just sent us the, the full kit, which was very nice. So thank you, Ford Madison. And uh, I want to say, if you are, whether you are kind of a new Minnesota United fan or a kind of Forward Madison fan, you are going to be introduced to Carl Craig, who is, uh, you know, as you will find out, such a kind of open person. And what I love about interviewing him is that he has no guile. And I think sometimes people in the industry and people around have taken that for being naive, but he just does not, he just doesn't give a fuck. And he just will say what he wants and what he believes. And I've always appreciated that. Um, so I won't, I won't delay it and kind of give a long introduction other than saying thank you for supporting us. We will have some more stuff coming out. Uh, if you are a Patreon, we kind of reached out to you to kind of get more feedback of what we can do in the off season, uh, especially as we want to try to hone what we're doing and, and not just phone things in. So thank you again, everyone. And now... Let's do big quarters, and then we'll uh, hear from Carl Craig. Well, I'm pleased to be joined by a, a friend of mine and also the former head coach of Minnesota United, assistant coach of Minnesota Stars, but now, most importantly, the technical director and head coach of Forward Madison in Madison, Wisconsin. Carl Craig, thanks so much for joining me. Well, it's an absolute pleasure, mate. Um, and I, it's, uh, it's been a challenging year. I didn't ever anticipate that I wouldn't be in your bar at least every other week when Minnesota <laughs> was playing at home. But of course, it never went that way. So um, I really appreciate this opportunity. It's lovely. I'm always happy to have a chat with you, as you know. Yeah. Um, and now in a, in a new job, it's uh, it's nice. And it, it also, to be honest, Wes, it, it finally 
draws a line under that we work at Minnesota United. Yeah. Um, absolute closure, and now I'm excited to move into mm. pastures, new and green, as they say. So thank yeah. you for having me. Well, we will we'll talk about that. Um, <clears throat> but I, I want to start by saying, you know, it's a, it's a delight to have you with me. You know, I I called you my friend, and that that's because when I was writing about Minnesota soccer, you were an assistant coach, and then you were a head coach, and you viewed it as your job to be not just interested in the fans, but interested in the people around you, in the people covering you. And that's how we became friends, you know. And um, it's it's just a, a pleasure for me to see you in this new role um, because, you know, once you left um, Minnesota soccer or pro soccer, um, we, we kept in touch and watched some soccer. And mm-hmm. you, uh, you, you know, <laughs> joined me, joined me at my bar many times. Um, but, but I want to, I want to talk about that, those new pastures, because I, I, I think that that's, it's super great. You know, I, I publicly professed my great joy in this and on this podcast, and, but also on Twitter, um, that you are this uh, the head coach and technical director of Forward Madison. So can you tell me how, how did this gig come about? Did you just uh, send them an application? No. Um, you, I know you're aware, I don't know about your listeners, but I know you're aware of uh, Matt Kenz. Mm-hmm. So Matt Kenz and I um, were friends from when I was at Minnesota, and uh, he was representing some players. Yeah, Matt, Matt who, is a, uh, a player agent who, who we've known. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. So he was representing some of the players um, when I was working with Minnesota. And uh, he and I were both invited to Jeff Reuter's uh, wedding. I think you were there too, mm-hmm. Wes. I was, yeah. Um, I missed all of this networking going on. Damn it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so we haven't, I hadn't seen Matt for a while. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, so we got you chatting and he said, you know, if, are you still interested in getting back in the pro game? I said, absolutely. Not necessarily looking at this point, but yeah, I'm, I'm keen to get back in there. And uh, he said, well, anything comes up, um, I'll certainly, I'll let you know. I'll keep my eyes and ears open. And if anything comes up, I'll let you know. So as luck would have it, um, actually just, a few weeks before Madison let Daryl go, uh, Matt and I had a coffee, um, socially distanced, outside of the Cladder Bar up in the, where was it, Brooklyn Centre, not Brooklyn Centre, we call it Maple Grove. No one knows where um, it is anyway, don't worry. <laughs> so, <laughs> Somewhere. Up there. <laughs> and uh, we got you chatting about football and what have you, and um, blah, 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 and then we had a nice time. And, uh, I think it was not too long after that. He said, hey, I hear the Madison jobs opened. Um, are you interested? I said, sure. So there we go. He actually had connections there. Um, he'd set up a trip for some of the owners to go visit in the UK, Daryl included, um, you know, and, and help set them up in, in a trip to London and to visit, I think it was Brentford Football Club. And uh, so he was well connected and that's, that's how it started. Mm-hmm. And that's how the ball got rolled in my favor. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, what's it? What is the? Tell me about the role of actually not just the head coach, but also the the technical director, and, and kind of taking over that. What is, what is that going to be like um, for you? So, so at this point, what that means is 
Um, I'm responsible for uh, building the roster, um, putting the contracts together, not writing the contracts, but the terms within the contracts, mm-hmm. keeping an eye on the budget, player budget, etc. Um, reporting obviously to the to the accountants and the senior management of the company. But um, yeah, basically, um, they give me a budget to to build the roster. Neil Laverty, who a number of people will be familiar with. Um, Neil was an assistant to Darrell Shaw. Um, Neil, if you, I know you know this, Wes. Neil was player <coughs> in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Minnesota Stars, and uh, you know, I were good friends then. We, the last time Neil and I, I met prior to being hired was at the Hurt of Berlin game, mm-hmm. no, Aston Villa game, sorry, I think. Sure. In, uh, in the cities, <laughs> we were in your bar. Yeah, he, he, he came out, and I, uh, I think he stayed in. Was I think it the, the villa game. I'm I think sure which one they stayed in like their car that night or something. I was very like mad that they didn't like just ask me <laughs> to stay at my place or something. But yes, yeah, they were here. <laughs> so um, I offered them a place on on my couch or on the office floor because they never spare bed. Yeah, and uh, they offered. They said, "Ah, oh, we're all right." And ended up sleeping in the car. Yeah. And I think they left. They were parked outside your bar. Yeah. <laughs> and they drove home like at silly o'clock oh. um, after sleeping the excesses of a, of a great night <laughs> off. Um, so I uh, so I kept Neil on board. So Good. Neil has been an absolute champion. Um, you know, having been involved with the club for the last two years, um, it's got a bit much better handle on on the, the league than I do. Um, I'm, I'm coming up to speed slowly but surely. Um, so I thought it was it was wise to keep them on. Plus, you know, again, we've had a, he and I always had a good relationship. Um, you know, harking back to the Minnesota days, I think we drove from, well, I know we definitely drove, he drove in year one, I think it was, from North Carolina um, in Awana, all the way from there back up here to to Minneapolis um, after we played in the playoffs. It might have been year two um, of Minnesota, NSC, whatever we called it at that point. So we uh, knew each other on the train field, but certainly driving in the car all that way with Neil, Kevin, um, myself, Kevin Friedland. And I think Angie might have been in there. So yeah, An- Angie, Angie doesn't like flying, so I, I think she was in, was. Yeah, in the car. <laughs> Um, so, uh, well, good fun, I'm glad to hear you, you've, you've kept, uh, Neil on. He's, he's, uh, such a great human being and knows the league so well. Um, who else are you going to be, how else are you going to be kind of looking at the league and, and trying to, you know, scout? Um, obviously it's USL one. You don't have a huge budget for scouting and putting mm-hmm. this stuff together. How do you go about, um, acclimating yourself to the league and figuring out what kind of, uh, you know, sometimes it's loans. I know there's, there's arrangements with, uh, Chicago fire and stuff. Um, how do you go about identifying talent and and bringing them in? Well, there's this thing called Y scout or Mm -hmm. Insta. Um, you know, so they've gone every game. You really need to look at the, the challenges is particularly at the lower levels, the quality of the footage is not always the greatest. Um, 
and I think you get some B-movie wannabe directors who are cutting their teeth in football and want to get all these fancy angles instead of just getting out of the way and showing us a football match. The Paul Greengrass <laughs> shoulder camera type. That's the same in the Premier League eye, you know, but uh, that makes it a little bit challenging, but surprisingly, uh, well, Eddie Rock at Chicago has been great. Um, the, the club has a relationship with the Chicago Fire. Um, and there's, there's something like uh, up to eight player, um, eight players can be loaned out, something like that. I'm mm-hmm. not sure exactly what it is, but it's a it's a sizable chunk, um, and you know a good number of players. So, so there, there's a great avenue. You know, Wise Scout Neil's expertise, and um, you know when when I was announced as being the head coach. I was shocked, really. I mean, I didn't know. I wasn't shocked at that bit because they hired me a couple of days before. But uh, I didn't realise I knew so many people. Um, so I had more well wishes than I could ever, ever imagined. And a number of those people were people who I'd worked with back, back when I was working for Minnesota. So people are coming out the woodwork again. And uh, so we connected with a bunch of scouts who I'd worked with, with Manny and Minnesota and uh, you know so yeah I mean it's it's this whole network is coming back in place um, as you know but I'm not necessarily the fella who I might be out there when I'm on doing an interview or, or whatever but outside of that I kind of keep myself to myself so I'm not a Facebooker I'm not a uh, social media type fella as you know so but it's amazing these days. Everyone's got my phone number, and I don't know how. But <laughs> so yeah, just kind of reconnect with a lot of people. Um, players know players. Um, I'm getting on the phone to players that I know, and certainly that's always a great avenue. You know, I know enough players who are still playing, and enough of the coaches, particularly in the championship, where I'm, uh, you know, I can get on the telephone and say, "Hey, what do you know about this person?" So and it's it's not as it's not as easy as it was at Minnesota, but it's it's not it's not like a really difficult challenge. So yeah, we'll see though. We'll see. I suppose whatever materials are on the, uh, on the field materializes on the field will be <laughs> the true reflection of it. I suppose. Yeah. Tell me about the league though. What what do you what have you observed of it so far? Um, in terms of you know, obviously, you're you know the lower divisions of soccer. Very well, but um, mm-hmm. the the NASL era of Minnesota was, um, you know, some things are the same, some things are very different for something like USL one. Um, what have you seen so far that that interests you or or that um, strikes you as uh, as unique that you need to acclimate I mean, yourself to? I don't. I don't think I need to acclimate to anything in terms of the football side of it. Or I mean. You know, when when I was being interviewed for the position, I was dreaming of um, people doing laundry and uh, <laughs> Danny wasn't pushing all the laundry in one load because he needed to get it done quickly and the shirt's coming out shredded <laughs> and those kinds of things. Um, but then I realised, well, no, this club is miles um, so, so much further along than Minnesota stores or NSC mm-hmm. was, um, you know, they've got a, a tremendous organization behind them. They have more than three um, employees. Madison, so. 
That's that's a well, big. They have more than three employees, and that's a big start. There you go. Now we're not living in the ba- hang on, basement. Yeah. So, <laughs> we're not in the basement, and they don't want us there. Um, no, it's uh, jokes aside. This this is a top class mm-hmm. company. It's uh, you know it's so professionally well run. Um, I think everything we need, you know, budget wise, it's not what Minnesota was when I left, or certainly not where Minnesota is now. But um, I've been very supportive of, of the you know the technical staff, the players get a good deal. Um, the fan bases reminds me a lot a lot of you guys. Um, no, before MLS, uh, no, I think it's those parts. Everything's in place. The, the you know, like everywhere, COVID, it's it's playing its part in planning for next year, and certainly affected them last year because the ground there in the middle of the city is actually um, city owned or county owned. I'm not sure, mm-hmm. which means they can't use it. Whereas, like the you know, UW Wisconsin privately owned so they were able to hold sports games on their campus whereas Madison wasn't so mm-hmm. they were driving closer towards Milwaukee to play the games and training up the road you know so things were awkward um, I'm hoping that when things are still things there are in lockdown pretty much like they are here where the kids are not playing sports and that sort of stuff um, plus I learned there's actually not a single sports dome in that area, which is open to the public. So unlike here, where wow. we've got lakes of Augsburg and, you know, Woodbury, Edina, sports domes all over the metro here, there's nothing there. Mm. So it, it, that's a challenge for me to get in there and actually see anyone who's around because they got, they got about six, eight inches of snow over the weekend. So that's it. That's not shifting right. until uh, until the sun comes out in the spring. So I guess that's a big challenge. Well, I don't guess that is a big challenge. Um, well, let's talk but, about um, Forward Madison. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious, you know, uh, you, you said it, it reminds you a little bit of Minnesota, but I, I think what strikes me as amazing um, about Forward Madison and, you know, I, I only went out to one game last year, um, but following them from a distance, following their supporters from a distance, there is this kind of um, similar feeling of kind of small, small world um, hype to it. But there's also a much more developed um, level of, and I think it's just, you know, 10 years on of how soccer has changed and the American soccer has changed. This really developed sense of personality and also, really progressive politics and it, that's mm-hmm. involved with the soccer. And, you know, I know you so well, so I'm curious if I want to hear you talk about that in, in terms of what you've seen and how that jives with, with how you view the role of, of soccer as, is not just, you know, 11 guys out there on the pitch trying to beat 11 guys out there. Yeah, no, I, I think you nailed it there, mate. Um, no, I, I wasn't necessarily. I wasn't just looking for a job in football. I was looking for the right job, and I think over the years, whether it be youth football or, or my time at Minnesota, um, you know, whether whether it's me sort of own internal conflict or just feel a feeling of sort of somewhat isolated. Um, I think I've re- come to realise that the reason I've had it 
a tough time in, in a number of different places is because the people I've worked with are not necessarily, well, not bad people, just don't see the world as I see it or like I see it. Sure. You know, so I'm, I'm, I'm not... Uh, I'm not opposed to capitalism, but I'm somewhat of an anti-capitalist. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's an on there, but you know what I mean. So yeah. I just, I, I, I think it, it's. I'm I'm not in football just for the business side. I like most people in this country need to earn a living, and I'm over the moon that I've been fortunate enough to be able to earn a living from being in football. But then the the majority of people in sports don't kind of follow the same politics or similar politics to me, haven't necessarily followed a path like me. Um, and, and the sports world is typically, you know, outside of soccer, that is, um, filled with um, jocks, to use, or for want of a better term. And I think, for the most part, I'm the antithesis of a jock. Um, and I'm I'm quite all right with that, frankly. <laughs> so so to be meeting guys like you and Bruce and, and Jim and all those people from the you know dark cloud days back, the early days of the dark clouds up in Minnesota, or, you know the Thunder guys and etc. Um, the Madison group is very much like you, um, sort of left wing politics, looking at social issues, looking to. Uh, affect change within the city. They use the football club as a platform to to gain support, but also share the issues. And really, um, fan base is yeah. I mean, I, I think the 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 meeting place, if you will, mm-hmm. the the common ground is the football club. But the football club is 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 the hub where all those groups can come and meet. Yeah, and I think I'm, I'm lacking a, a good term, Wes, um, because it, probably because of me age and stuck behind a computer for the last year. <laughs> but I, I think soccer is is the sport of the punk rockers, if you yeah. will, um, it, or, or for for those of us who have seen ourselves um, on the fringes of of what 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 has been seen as normal. And uh, so it's it's the the sport for those of us who have seen ourselves on the fringes of normal, yeah. and and I think that's great. Um, and and you know, I've never actually been to a game in Madison yet. Um, I was planning to go to that Hertha Berlin game um, out there, and I, I kind of forgot about it. <laughs> but. Uh, Everything was going on here anyway. But uh, well, I'll tell you this about a, a Ford Madison game—the only one I went to. Jeff Reuter and I happened to be out there at the same time, and uh, we mm-hmm. were uh, as part of the halftime show uh, up against uh, Neil Lavity's dad, and I believe there were some other player families involved. Anyway, we did the Mingo race of the big inflatable <laughs> flamingos, and. As part of it, we did this race, and then we go, and at some point, Jeff Ruder realizes that we're behind them, and so he peels off from the, he lets go of the uh, inflatable Mingo, runs to the goal, uh, and uh, Neil's dad takes a shot on goal, um, uh, Jeff saves it off the line, and then runs back, we take the goal, and we score, and we win, and Neil's dad... (laughs) 
was furious at us. We went to the bar afterwards and he was just livid. And so that was my, all, all I know is that, uh, that, that was a, a, a legendary day. I'm, I'm sure with all forward Madison fans, not just, uh, myself, but, uh, yeah. And I, I wondered where, where, um, where Neil got his hatred of losing from. No, you just explained where. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. He's, I've, I've said it before. So, Neil is the angriest man in soccer I've ever met. And I've met some angry men. <laughs> and, and you know, that came up, um, where, where he and I, um, he's, he's absolutely, he really has been brilliant these last couple of weeks since I started in the position and, uh, what a changed fella. But, uh, you know, I acknowledge I made a joke, um, we're chatting with this, the number nine in the club, Noah Fusson. Mm-hmm. Reminds me a lot of Christian Ramirez, to be honest with you. So Neil and I were on a Zoom call with him, and uh, you know he was talking about how he got angry when he missed stuff. And I mentioned Neil. I said, you know, Neil actually was quite an angry man. I might be going to sniff daffodils, um, you know, and enjoy how flowers look. Well, Neil would be running around kicking the heads off them. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, Neil is Neil is a top class man. Uh, I'm so happy to have him there. Good. But, uh, he was certainly angry back then. <laughs> can I, can we um, step back then from Forward Madison and go go way back in the Wayback Machine? And can we give fans a sense of kind of where you're from and growing up in Newcastle? And you tell me what you want to talk about from that era because I know there's. I've heard many stories from you over the years, but in terms of growing up yeah. there, and if you want to talk about soccer or just growing up there, t- tell me what that was like. Well, I, I think football, we were steeped in football. Um, you know, I grew up in a place called Baker. I'll be formative years in a place called Baker, which is in the east end of the city, right on the river. Um, because these days, the stadium is massive. Newcastle United Stadium's, you know, it's right on the top of the hill. So the 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 road that runs alongside the stadium is known as is called the Gallow Gate. So the stadium was built uh, on the edge of the town moor in the Gallow Gate, or you know, back then the city was a walled city, and uh, the gallows were on the hill and the moor. So um, the stadium is on the hill, and then where where I grew up in Baker, you, these days you couldn't end because the stands are so big. Now you can see the stadium, so probably two miles from the stadium where I grew up. Um, you know the shipyards were fully functioning in those days. There wasn't as much coal. There was no coal in the city in Newcastle, but that term it's like taking coal to Newcastle um, came from Newcastle being such a you know or Northumberland, at least a, a prominent area for coal in, within the British Empire. So it was a heavily industrial city. Um, football team has always been kind of up and down, but um, it was when you grow up, and that's all you know. That's all you know. So, but I loved, I loved going to the game. My dad used to take us to the game. He'd drop us off, and he'd bugger off and go have a few pints. They'd come back and grab me and we'd sit and watch the football. Um, so like like a lot of kids in, in England and the UK, you know, that's what we had, had football. And uh, so I played, played my school teams, played in the county teams, played uh, youth teams when you're castling and that sort of stuff. Um, we got into the punk rock stuff 
So my parents got divorced um, and the punk rock stuff was just starting. And uh, Pop of the Pops was the one of the music shows, like the popular show on BBC. There was another show at the time, um, the old Great Whistle Test, which was on BBC Two back then, but that was a little highbrow for me at that time. So Top of the Pops was on and uh, there was a band called the Rizillos, you know, which were who were from Fife in Scotland and Dunfermline. And actually they morphed through various versions of the Rizillos to become um, the Skids, if anyone remembers those, that band, um, who were really popular as well. But So anyway, they had a song called Top of the Pops, and then Susie and the Banshees were doing Hong Kong Garden, and uh, Sham 69 were doing If the Kids Are United, and Hurry Up Harry, and I just thought that stuff was brilliant. Um, you know, Jump Up and Down, anti-establishment stuff, and then... I think I was like 11, 12 years old at the time. So it wasn't, I wasn't sort of motivated by politics, but I was certainly, um, you know, as a young kid, happy to be obnoxious and seeing people sticking their two fingers up and sex pistols were doing their thing. So I was like, ooh, I like that. <laughs> and, and at some point... <laughs> so I got point, into that and kept putting me going, go ahead. At some point during this, you know, you were raising yourself eventually, right? I mean, I think that that yeah, was me, more me, when you were like 16. Yeah, my right? mother, um, mother got remarried and uh, my stepfather and mother uh, moved off to the Middle East to work in the Middle East and uh, my sister and I stayed at home. My yeah. sister ended, uh, ended up moving into our own, own flat, council flat, and then I stayed and did my own thing and uh, sort of found life. <laughs> yeah. And, and, <laughs> and experience. And punk was, um, you know, I'm, I'm going now from what I remember other stories of you yeah. having told me, punk rock was in, in some ways for you um, a way to kind of be seen and, and be kind of noticed by people and, and have like a absolutely. an identity. Yeah, absolutely. You're spot on there. Um, and that, that was also the same for football at the time. I mean, it was kind of a... A dark, grey, miserable um, environment. It's funny because even you know, in the summer, it's, until I came to the USA, permanently, I'd never, I'd never spent much time of any outside of the UK. And from what I remember, apart from 1977, I think, uh, where it was boiling hot and I got sunstroke. I think boiling hot probably means probably about. 65 degrees or something for me. <laughs> but maybe it was hotter than that. Um, but I remember, uh, actually it would have been 78, it was pretty hot as well because I was, I remember watching the World Cup and thrown up. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, that was, it was, so football provided, you know, provided people with an identity. And if you were a good footballer, then people knew you and, and you know, um, but certainly the punk rock thing as well, where where it was, was still in the day where I, I was wearing you know big hair and or colouring me hair and tartan pants and zips and safety pins and that kind of uh, get up, which a lot of people were offended by and would shout at you and swear at you and then if you were in town or people were li- literally getting physically attacked because we were mm-hmm. we were freaks and that sort of thing, but you know. That, that was 
that's kind of exciting when you're young. Yeah. <laughs> Not to be smacked in the head, but it's like, you know, it was it was definitely a badge of honor to be, you know, standing out. And uh, we used to go to this record shop in the town called Listen Here. And um, it was like a gathering of the clans where people hanging out on the streets and big hair and, you know, whatever. It was just, it was like nowhere else. Mm. So I, it was, it was not really... And those people I'm still in contact with today, to be honest with you, um, not necessarily close contact, but, you know, through my time in football in this country and social media, um, some of the people that I play in bands with, um, actually, my missus, she, she speaks to more people that I used to know than I do, to be frank. So, <laughs> But they're still punking it over there. And, you know, it's nice that they send their best wishes. But yeah, I think that's, that was kind of my family when my family were away. Absolutely. Um, for those, like, I, th- I feel like for, you know, I was born in 1982 and there's a lot of us who kind of mm-hmm. are, are too young to maybe experience the 1980s, 1980s punk as, you know, to me, it, it feels like a, a caricature the way like my, my parents of the 1960s and hippies was. And so I'm actually curious yeah. if you can, you, you've said a little bit about this, but I, I'm I'm curious because I've never heard you say more about this. But what was the 1980s and punk in the era of Margaret Thatcher's England, especially? You know, how how did you experience that? Like, what what was it that wasn't a you know go beyond? You know, I know the the caricature, but I'm I'm curious to hear what it was to you. Yeah, no, I, I think it's totally fair because I think you had this this sort of the growth of the political punk stuff. Um, so in the 70s, there was a big um, anti-Nazi league presence. Um, and there was also a, a big faction in that sort of punk, punk um, or those punky movements where Nazi, fascists, whatever you want to call them, skinhead movements were, were ingrained in it. Um, so there's a lot of violence it shows back then. Um, I think it was it was violence for the sake of violence, or often it wasn't necessarily um, punkers fighting, but it, tend, it tended to be right wing present a right wing presence. It shows skinheads and stuff who would want to just just go for a fight in that sort of um, you know high tempo, if you will, aggressive music sort of supported what they were about and. Yeah, so there was a lot of um, right-wingers involved then. Um, unemployment was sky high in British terms then. You know, the factories were starting to wane and jobs were being cut. We had, particularly in the early 70s, the three-day week where um, the Conservatives were already starting to mess with the working-class people. And then, you know, so by the time Thatcher came around, um, the sort of the crass type, Chumbawamba, and that movement was gaining steam. Um, and even at those gigs, you know, the minor strike in 83, that was well established, that, that sort of anarcho-punk scene was well established. Um, you know, I, I was on the fringes of it first, and as I got a bit older and started to read a bit more, took more, more notice of the message, got into vegetarianism and veganism. Um, hunt saboteurs, you know, the rich people are hunting foxes and for sport and 
I didn't believe in that, still don't believe in that. Um, so we started protestigates that. And um, even even before that, I was going on campaign for nuclear disarmament rallies. I was like 14, 15 in the city and uh, you know, anti-Nazi league rallies and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, and, and then, but even in that sort of crass type uh, era during the minor strike, I guess that was at the peak of it. Was still, you know, we would go out and do shows. Um, we would put on a benefit show and try and raise money for for the miners who were just shy of a year on strike. Um, you know, we, we I moved up to Scotland. Actually, I would go picket and go join the picket lines. Um, you know, in England, at the big pits in England, and then uh, eventually moved to Scotland. Join, I moved to the, the band called the Alternative. We were from Dunfermline and Cross had released a bunch of their stuff and I moved into a house with a few of them guys and et cetera, et cetera. But, um, so, yeah, I think it was uh, it was a whole shift in terms of what the, what we'd known as a country. I uh, mean, from a, work, a single, single parent family at the time, but uh, certainly a working class family who struggled to get by. Um, you know, like like a, like an awful lot of people in the UK, the shift from struggling to get by, but there was work there to not even jobs. That was, you know, I was leaving school right around that time. It was it was shocking. And then, I don't know. It was just, I guess that was the time when I started to find myself most. In all honesty, yeah. Um, can I uh, switch back to soccer then and um, ask mm-hmm. you about the how you look back on the Minnesota United era, particularly, you know, you had that one, um, one year as a head coach, but, um, you know, looking back on that year, but also before that, um, how do you look back on it? I guess, let me just ask that generally. Um, fondly, uh, you know, I had some great times there. Certainly met some lovely people, it was, it was always a major challenge because until the last couple of years, at least, we never knew we were going to have a job. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I loved being around the lands, I loved being in the environment, loved the travel, all of that stuff. Although I can remember um, staying at Brian Coastead once in a, in a post-match interview. Um, you know, he'd asked us about something, and we'd been travelling quite a bit at the time, and I, and I made one of the most ridiculous statements I've ever made in my life when I told him, you know, Brian, it's 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 tough and it's hard work traveling all these places. And I think I called him the next day because that stuck in my head. And I said, Brian, I know it's probably went out there by now, but I have to retract that statement. What a moronic statement. Um, you know, I was just like, oh, my God, what have I turned into? <laughs> what what made you think it was, you know, that, so, was moronic? What, what was bad about that statement? Well, because there's, there's people out there Busting the hump left, right, and centre, you know, um, you know, wasn't necessarily making a, a, a lot of money myself. But yeah. you know, there's people out there doing three and four jobs and struggling to pay their mortgage or pay their rent, and you know. And I just thought, well, oh, that's just uh, it's. Uh, that's why I thought it was ignorant because I know there's people really struggling in jobs which, you know, it, it is a privilege to be sitting on an aeroplane and flying all over the continent go kick a football. It's an absolute privilege. I don't care. 
yes, it's a job. And at the end of the day, you know, we have to work. But I know there's people who got life way, way tougher than being in pro sports. Um, again, it doesn't always pay handsomely. However, it, uh, if you're getting paid to be a sports person, you're privileged. Simple as that. So just that little, you know, quick check. Um, yeah. I call it Catholic guilt, and I'm not religious. I'm an atheist, <laughs> and I'm not, I was even when I was brought up, I wasn't brought up as a Catholic. But I think no, that's, that's when not Catholic guilt. Catholic that's, guilt. That's something else. Keeping that's, a check on yourself. Yeah, I think that's, that's what it is. <laughs> it's 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 maybe a working class guilt or or, or knowing knowing go. what you have. But do you have a do you have a proudest or happiest moment that you think back on uh, most often? Uh, I don't, you know, what, what's funny was, is um, I, I forgot so much. Um, people remind me of certain things. I suppose, you know, I, you guys and Jim Christ, I you know, I remember, I think it was when we did Fort, Fort Lauderdale at home, and uh, Jim Christ was your fire starter. Mm-hmm. And you're running up and down the side of the pitch there, Um letting those flares off. I think that's probably one of my most favourite moments I had in the club. Um, obviously, when we went down to, to play the second leg of the, of the championship and we wanted down there with that, on that sponge and yeah. <laughs> peeing down was brilliant, brilliant. But I think the home game was just a shame. You know, and even the, the next year after we played uh, Tampa Bay, Tampa, it would have been just a shame that they were both Second legs were away because both home legs were brilliant. Um, but I think that that one when we won it, with all those flares going off, and it was, I think it was misty. I could be wrong, but probably um, that was awesome. Well, I, get there. I thought a lot about that that game this year. Um, you know, it's almost the tenth anniversary of that. But um, in terms of watching Minnesota United, we're obviously in the semifinal this year. Um, and thinking about, I had to watch, I did not travel that year to the final in Fort sure. Lauderdale and watched it on uh, on the internet stream at the Sweetwater uh, in, in, you know, the old Best Western in St. Paul. And um, I was new to to the game, to, to Minnesota United, not to the game, but, um, or to the Stars at that point. And, uh, and right. so it didn't, it felt really distanced to me. So we won and then I had... Mm-hmm. I didn't have the same emotion that I had the week before when the team was right there and we won the first leg. And right. it felt very much the same this year where I was thinking, we're going to get to, we might get to a final here and I'll just have, it, it doesn't, to me, soccer is is that interaction of, of the people, especially the old days where I could yell and know that a player would hear me and I could totally fuck with them. But those were, that was the quintessential old days of, of the stars where like you would yell and you know that um, Machi Giorgio out there knew that you were making fun of his hair or, you know, the goalkeeper would, would like give you the thumbs up at the end of the half once you'd finished making fun of him for 45 minutes and, uh, and, and not having that, you know, the, the, the times where, where we were actually there, where we had those moments were so much better, where, you know, even winning, uh, winning the cup away didn't feel as good as winning the first leg when it wasn't with the trophy. No, I'm sure. And, and you know what, um, full disclosure, when football went down in the spring, 
uh, and the kids started to come back in the summer, I didn't even look at it. Mm-hmm. I thought, you know, it's so superficial. I, I, I spoke yeah. to someone, I did an interview, um, can't remember who it was, but I'm just saying, I know that's part of the economy, which is the term being bandied around at the time. Um, you know, but I just thought, you know, these guys are going in a bubble. They're being tested, goodness knows, probably every day. Um, you know, it, it just didn't seem right to me. Yeah. And, and I thought, you know, there's people literally on the front line here who kind of get a test or you know, whose lives are in danger. Um, whether you work in a grocery store or in the medical field or whatever, you know, people standing behind seven pints behind bars because you have to, because that's how we make a living. To I just thought, for me, this is not the moment where I need to be entertained and uh, just, it just didn't feel right to me. Um, whilst acknowledging uh, these guys have a living to make as well, but for me, it wasn't in that moment. Uh, the, I wasn't looking for entertainment. Yeah. Um, and for those, not, not in that form. Yeah, I'm desperate for entertainment. I watched bloody Tiger King or whatever his face was. So I was looking for <laughs> So um, post, post Minnesota United, you were teaching, you were not teaching, coaching, excuse me, youth soccer and, and back on that. Um, what is, what's yeah. your interaction with soccer these days? How do you watch it? What are you watching? What excites you? Well, I've just um, watched my team get smashed to pieces off Leeds United this afternoon. Yeah, five um, to two. On the football. Jeez, <laughs> um, I thought we were doing all right until we weren't. <laughs> well, you know, that's been an interesting, whereas I've had that question from, you know, the numerous um, interviews I've done uh, for groups in Madison. And say, what's, what kind of style and, and what are you going to play? Yeah. A big part of the style that I hope to bring to Madison is something that matches the energy that goes on in the stands and around the community. Um, and then I compare that to what's going on at Newcastle United now. So it just shows you when Newcastle try to be a bit more expansive, what happens? Um, they get smashed. But when they sit back, they stay in the game and on occasion, you know, they, in the 89th minute or what have you, pardon me, excuse me, late on in the game, um, you know, they can throw a few Hail Marys up there and get a win or sneak a win or sneak a draw. Um, but anyone who's ever been to Newcastle knows what kind of city it is. Um, it's, I think, well, it's a party town. It is um, still very much a, a student town these days. You know, there's student apartments and accommodation all over the place, as has happened to a lot of those uh, former industrial cities. But it's still very much a party town. And, um, you know, the football club has never had won the first cup, which would be the UEFA Cup, or what would you call that these days? Uh, Europa Europa Cup. These days. We won the Europa League in 1969, and I wasn't old enough to realise that at the time. But I haven't won anything, you know. So I kind of used to not winning anything, but we want to have a good time at the football. And we have a good time when we're not at the football, but we want to have a great time at the football. So it's not necessarily about winning the league, but it's about being entertained and uh, being all right. You know, yeah. uh, we've had a couple of years where 
Bobby Robson and Kevin Keegan were in charge and, and we we were brilliant without really being brilliant. So that's that's kinda you know, it doesn't match who we are as a people. And and what I'm understanding was last year was very disappointing for the Madison fan base and for the for the group and for who they are as their identity. The football just wasn't what they wanted. Mm. And um Unfortunately, that's why Darrell, you know, that was one of the reasons why I think um, Darrell was moved on. Um, so it's a heck of a challenge for me. But, you know, I understand this is, this is a job where the expectation is to, to win championships. So no different to any other football club. Um, but I think they want to win it in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Whereas if, if I go in and park the bus, um, and we don't win it, I could find myself out of the job pretty quickly. Yeah. If we go out and play and uh, don't necessarily win it, I think I'll just get a second look. Um, but it, it, I think people want it. it it's, and at the same time, it's not the same Paul Saints baseball. Yeah. You know, you mentioned half time, there's a few things going on. This is a deadly serious football club. Right. No ifs or buts about it. But it does. It has its identity. Fan base want to be entertained, um, and I'm I've been charged with with bringing bringing that to them. So, hey, I love attacking football. I know it's it's you it can be vulnerable. Um, the team conceded in terms of you know of a league table, very few goals last year, but they barely scored any either. You know, so I, as I view it now. If we win by one goal and we're putting the ball away, well, we might end up chewing my nails from start to the end of the game when we're so bloody cavalier and going forward. Well, maybe that's just the excitement that we need. Um, But, uh, no, I I think, you know, our football, before before MLS, we were an adventurous team. We wanted to go entertain you guys in the crowd. We were very much forward thinking, you know, two full bags banging on, trying to load the line and particularly those games against you know, we would get undone, of course we would. Um but I just think back to some of those games in the cosmos, where mm-hmm. unfortunately for us, most of the time they got the better of us. Not that oh, one time. That was exciting football. Um yeah, I, you know, when you look back at that, that specifically that year when you were a head coach, um, it wasn't the best mm-hmm. year for the team. There were some pretty great moments, some pretty terrible moments. I remember a, yeah. there was a Miami loss that was just... Miami. Oh. At home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Five to two or something. It was bad. And Tampa Bay, I four think two. Joe Cole scored. Four nil. Four nil. Yeah. Was it four two or four nil? I don't know. Anyway, it was depressing. We it was bad. Yeah. But um, you know, what I do you <laughs> obviously, you know, you've you've grown up as a as a person, as a soccer um coach. Um yeah. what do you what have you learned since then? What 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 do you think that you've been thinking about or focusing on since then? You know, that I think the greatest thing was it's both the greatest and the worst, worst thing. Um, the greatest thing is space. Um, and as I reflect back on, on uh, at least that last year I worked with Minnesota, um, my head was all over the place. You know, there was so much going on within the club. Players, players coming and going. 
what's going to happen with the club next year. Did I have a position? Did the players have a position? In the grand scope of things, in terms of um, teams that are moving forward, we were actually one of the more successful groups, you know, in that last year before the franchise moves into the next phase. Um, but that's hardly consolation. No, I, I think, you know, the, the ability, well, I think we've all got the ability, but I have had the opportunity to reflect on who I am as a, as a man, who I am as a person, who I am as a football coach, and and really just sort of think back to the situation. And um, I think there was just so many things going on. I was probably a little bit ADD at the time. Um, and now, you know, with time, time, time's not the great healer. Could sit there forever and have the same thoughts and feelings. I've, you know, I've had me little moments where I felt sorry for myself and that sort of nonsense. But really, um, I got back on my bicycle, as it were. I was fortunate enough to be invited to work with US Soccer in their coach education department. Um, you know, and some outstanding people reconnect with some some coaches who I'd worked with uh, you know, on the regional staff and that sort of thing. But um, I think that space away from, from the pro game gave me a chance to reflect as opposed to, you know, at the time, thrown at the deep end, not as much control as, as I probably would have liked, but at the time it was an opportunity. Um, you know, would have been fool not to take it. Um, and the experience is in, absolutely invaluable. But in hindsight now, um, no, I'm, I'm so much more prepared for this. I'm, I'm actually feel really confident about this position. I'm confident about the staff, the club, the lot. And then I feel, um, I feel wanted. You know, I didn't feel unwanted then, but it was, I think that last year was kind of a, as I think back to what it was, let's get this thing out of the way so we can move on to bigger, better things. Um, that was my sentiment. That's not necessarily the yeah. truth. It was a lot of, testing, of felt like that. testing out players, testing out a coach, testing out all these things so that we could get to the yeah. real, real thing. And, and uh, it, Absolutely. it was, a, it was always a tough spot. Um, you yeah. know, I, I'm, I'm curious since then, have you, I guess I'm I'm thinking about this because someone I was talking to who knows you was saying that you've had chances to go elsewhere, but uh, to coach elsewhere, but just kind of didn't take those. And so I'm I'm actually kind of curious about that. Have you looked at other um, pro coaching opportunities since then and not taken them? Or tell me about that. No, no, you know I, I did interview with Chicago. Um, not long after I left Minnesota, and uh, it was well, it wasn't certainly wasn't for a head coach position, but um, I interviewed for a, a position with the first team there, and it never came to fruition. Um, no, that was that was a tough transition for me, in all honesty. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that last year wasn't the greatest, um, and I, I'm I'm big enough and honest enough to hold my hands up. Um, you know, even if it hadn't been a great year, I'm not sure that I would have been hired. But uh, that's 
it doesn't matter. I'm, yeah. I'm not angry about that or, or what, anything. It's just a statement. Um, but then the next year, you know, I, I think the way it was a little messy how the transition from being, you know, I understood I still had a job within the club and it was, well, we'll bring you here, we'll bring, you know, and it was humming and hollering and backing and forth and it was just, it was kind of tough to live with. Yeah. Um, I think maybe they were trying to be kind when the kindest way would have been to tell you just that, to put me yeah, down and say, yeah, right, you're done, yeah. you're gone, see you. Yeah. Um, but I was kind of, you know, I was hanging on to this notion that I, I was coming back and that wasn't, it wasn't, I wasn't told that I wasn't coming back and I told, yeah, there was a, still a position for me within the club. And so it was humming and hollering and it was, it was, frankly, it was, it was sloppy would be the, probably a fair term. Sure. Um, I don't think there was malice involved, but it was just, it was, it was sloppy. And, and that frankly got to me a bit, um, you know, so, but anyway, uh, but so then the Chicago thing came up and then, you know, it was like, well, what am I going to do? Um, so I got involved with Minnesota Thunder Academy, MTA in the cities here. Did a bit of work with them. My mother, my mother was ill, um, you know. So I, I jumped out to the MTA thing and went and because I could, to be frank, uh, you know, my mother was ill and dealing with cancer. So I've got to go home, see how things are going there. So went home. Uh, my son came came across as well. So it was like this transitional period where I felt the need to sort of take take stock. Mm-hmm. And and have a look and what do I want to do? Um, I never did. I never was never. I didn't want to be in professional football or be in football. I kind of come to the uh, the realization that I've been in lots of different situations. Now I leave um, lots of different situations for one reason or another. But the reason I typically leave these things is because not how it's not where I want to be. Yeah. And in all honesty, this gig in Madison feels feels like home. Yeah, I'm not. I'm, I'm still living in my place in the cities. Um, what I mean by that is, it's the whole ethos around the football club is geared on. It's a cooperative spirit. It's based around the fans and the fan clubs, the various factions within the club, whose politics are very similar to mine. Um, the people I've met up to now have been absolutely tremendous. And, and the lovely thing was, is I don't have to be anything that I'm not. Yeah. I don't have to be. I don't have to be a, a sports guy who who doesn't. I'm not a sports guy. I'm a soccer coach who takes his job as seriously as any other soccer coach. But my politics are are not. Like a lot of sports people, mm-hmm. you know, I'm I'm a I'm an unashamed lefty. Um, I support Black Lives Matter. I support GBLTQ. I support, um, you know, all of those types of of um, organisations in left wing politics. And I, and I believe I'm not an anti capitalist as such, but I am an anti capitalist in the way it, it works in this country. Um, it, I, I think it's obscene that 
throughout this nation, one of the wealthiest nations in the world, that we've got people living on the streets. And the UK has gone this way as well, where people are having to survive on food banks, and yet the billionaires making more and more money. And where where you can, oh, look at so and so, they give you know a hundred million dollars to this to this thing. Well. I don't think we should be waiting for handouts from mega rich people who do it on their terms. Let's get the bloody taxation system in line so people are not starving on the streets. People can, you know, maybe they don't have the fanciest car or the fanciest clothes, but they should be able to eat. They should be able to have a roof. Everyone should have a roof over their head if that's what they want. And I understand some people choose to to not live in, in a house, as it were, but not many. They're few and far between. Um, so until all those things are all right, are put right, then no, nah, you know what? I'll, I'll stand behind those those people and those organisations. And this notion that you know, keep you on, oh well, they're they're antifa. Well, what I've just experienced this year with um, listening to the elections and you know the current president, um, you know, or the the. You know they hate Antifa. I mean, but basically, if you're if you're not supportive <laughs> of Black Lives Matter and and those kinds of causes, um, it seems to me that you're a fascist because the the president the message the president has put out has been you know take up arms and go fight those people. Um, these anti-fascists. Oh, so just in those messages you're telling me that you you support that right-wing politics and you're a fascist. So I am an anti-fascist. I don't follow a political party, but um, I believe in equality for everyone. Um, I understand that white people have a tough time of it as well, but that's not the message in Black Lives Matter. We understand that. The message is loud and clear as far as I'm concerned. Black people have been mistreated and, and systematically abused um, forever in this country and in the UK. Well and until we listen, we've got to we've got to you know we have to make a noise. Yeah. That's that's the least. You know what so, one of the one of the things I've appreciated so much about Forward Madison, one of the reasons I consider myself a forward uh, a, a mingo myself is that mm-hmm. um they have found a way to be irreverent and silly but um Obviously, you you talked about how winning games is important. You want to win trophies, like it's a serious thing. Um, yeah, but it's not. There, there's a way to be simultaneously these three things. One is silly, which is like, look, let's not take ourselves too seriously. At the same time, right, let's take winning seriously. And then at the third third thing, and these are all slightly in in uh concert with each other but also like intention the third thing is is saying that soccer is sure it's about winning games sure it's about not taking yourself seriously but it's also about recognizing the power that bringing people together can have in terms of getting people to if you can get those people those 4,000, 6,000, 8,000, 20,000 people to cheer for a game, you can get them to, you can mobilize them to fight inequality. And that those three things are always kind of 
they live in the same universe. And I love that this team does it so well. I love uh, when I said that I was so excited about you being the coach there. I know it's because I know you so well. And I know that those three things, you, you are a very funny, irreverent person, but you also, you're not a clown. You want to win soccer. You're a, you're a coach. You're there to yeah. win soccer, but also you understand that like soccer is second to civil rights and equality that we want for all of our people. So yeah, I, I, I'm absolutely, uh, you know, you're hitting it of like those three things, you know, and I'm, I'm so with you as I think we kind of take ourselves too seriously as, as just mentioned a little earlier, when I check myself and, and keep me working class feet firmly on the ground and recognize that I'm in a privileged position and say, what is this all about? So, it was when I was young, it was all about being with my pals, having a great time in that community. You know, football um, has its dark side in other parts of the world and probably here as well to an extent in certain places. But I think the, the type of crowd that you've got, or we have here in Minnesota, because I'm still here, and the type of crowd like support in Oregon and, um, and Madison and, and other places around the nation is yes, it affords us. It also affords us a place where we can have a voice. Now, I am not, um, what I think, Wes, is I don't think you have to be uh, as much of a lefty as I am to come to the football club and have a great time. But I think what the football club affords us these days is that voice. And all I ask is that people open their minds and their eyes up to the inequality um, and, and let's share honest dialogue and not just dialogue about, well, what about me? No, there, there are, you know, they say there's always someone not worse off than you. And I think right now the most appropriate thing is, um, or one of the most appropriate subjects that we need to be addressing is, is that systematic racism. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is not about a league table, see who's the worst because there are certainly other other causes that need support too. But, um, you know, this this was a tough old summer in this country. Um, and, and it was lovely to see people standing up throughout the world. But um, I'm, I'm a little concerned that, you know, the summer's gone and the, the, the nights are drawn in, as they say, it's getting cold. And, and that was last summer's thing. Well, we kind of just go back to what it was. Because a lot of people, well, George Floyd gave his life or his life was taken. Um, we should never forget that. And there's other people throughout the country whose lives have been taken. Um, that, that, that should just be the start of something new. And I'm, I'm concerned that that was just last year on this year's thing. Yeah. And uh, to your point, Wes, it's, this is a place where I think football should be a place for open dialogue. Um, we don't, if we can walk away, at least have an honest conversation. Um, I think, you know, we all live in our own worlds and our own versions of the world. Um, it's unlikely we're going to agree on every little bit, but I think there has to be that respect for one another where, um, at least we can agree to disagree and then live, live alongside one another. But I think we're, we're just when polar opposites right now, I don't think that's a healthy place to live in. Yeah. 
Let me um let me turn it back to to soccer one last time and just talk mm-hmm. about uh, Forward Madison. Talk about the the team um and what your kind of vision for success is there. How how do you how do you go about winning the trophies? Because I know that like you know your your top priority, your job is yep. you're there yep. to win trophies. So how do you do that? That's it. Well, uh, we looked at looked at what was on. You know, talking about men. Here. <laughs> so look what what was there last year. Mm-hmm. Talking about people here. I looked at the talent pool last year, and um, you know they got good players. And uh, how I view it, it was the, the defense was very well organized, but they play very deep. They didn't score a lot of goals. Um, and you could argue that was because of the tactics, or you might argue that's because of the, the individuals. So, um, and looking at the attributes of the players in the roster, um, and, and then the age of some of the players, and put two and two together and come, come up with five, um, in my infinite wisdom, <laughs> I decided, well, you know, the, the front three didn't create an awful lot last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, this is a team game, so the, the guys at the back of the midfield have to provide for the front lads. But then also look at the age of the, the age of the, the older lads, or certainly guys on the front line. And whilst they can still play football, um, a question without even asking, um, you know, and that's my prerogative, I suppose. Uh, I wonder what motivates a fella, you know, in his 30s to play in the third division. Um, and, and then, you know, so, and then given that last season wasn't as successful, I wasn't very successful. Uh, I thought, well, you know what, I'm going to look to get some some younger legs in there. Players who actually want to play for the well, players who want to play for the club, who want to win a championship, and then who we can actually put into the spotlight, and then who can move up to the next division or into MLS or wherever else they may want to go, because this is um, in the third division in US soccer. I, you know, some people this will be their last gig, but for these young men, I'll hope this is a stepping stone to greater things. Quite frankly. But I, I would really hope that they could be part of great things and help, you know, certainly part of a great club. The club is a great club. But I want us to do great things on the field and then to be able to wave them goodbye, saying thank you, and for, them to have, for those players to have the memories of, of a wonderful experience at the Madison, uh, Ford Madison Football Club and, and think fondly back to how great they served the club, but how, how wonderful the time they spent here. That, that would be my ultimate goal. Um, so I'm looking for, you know, a little bit more bite, a bit more enthusiasm. Um, look to play a bit more, you know, a bit more assertively. Um, not quite as worried about not letting goals, but more concerned about scoring more goals. That, that's kind of, of what I'm looking to do there. Yeah, a little bit of that uh, Bielsa um, uh, look in uh, of the world. Uh, I know that he just kicked your team's ass <laughs> with leads, but uh, a little bit more of that craziness. But um, uh, that's superb. I am uh, 
extremely excited for you and Forward Madison. We're going to try to get, um, you know, we have we have some connections with uh, your players there, so we're going to try to talk more in in this off season with some Forward Madison people. I will definitely be coming mm-hmm. to watch you play uh, at least once or twice this summer once uh, human beings are allowed to move about the world. Um, but Carl, I'm. I'm very excited for you. Congratulations on this new gig. And also, um, yeah, just good luck. Um, you, you've been a great friend to me and many people in Minnesota soccer, you know, even people who've never met you all, um, we owe you a lot for, uh, creating a lot of the traditions that we love. Uh, you know, we've got your, um, your sainted painting up at, at, at the bar at Blackheart. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I've, I've now seen that the, uh, the the Madison fans are are calling you the Pink Pope and uh, and the Bishop of Greece. So um, so anyway, thank you so much for for uh, coming on the podcast and talking to me. Uh, I look forward to seeing you and seeing you in real life again. It's been a long time, but thank you, man. Thanks, Wayne. It's absolute pleasure, and and you know I, I know how wide your audience goes. So to everyone out there in Minnesota football. Thank you so much. I mean, Minnesota is my American home. Um, I'm moving off to Madison um, early in the new year, but such fond memories of this place in, in terms of football and, and you know the support you and Bruce and all the all the other the old dark clouds and the new dark clouds too and the TNEs and everyone. Thank you so much. It's uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to serve you and to share your company and the beers with you and. Uh, Yes, hello to Madison. Love to see you, but thank you. Wes, absolutely tremendous. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Thank you, man. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Yeah.